He's amused Cam Newton. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, would you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go Tarion. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. As he, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for The Drive with Josh Graham. Welcome to a football Friday. This is The Drive on WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad. And this has become the rule in the NFL. After you get past year one as a coach and you're not winning, you become an easy target. And when that happens, those who fire arrows will take advantage of what's easy. That's also life. People generally do the easy thing and take fire at the easy targets. When I was in high school, I was loud. I was obnoxious. I had no buffer. I guess not that much has changed since then. But it made me an easy target. An easy target for insecure people and for bullies to make fun of. So when I see where the temperature's at for Matt Rule after an 0-2 start, some of it is warranted. The Jay-Z comparison, some of the other stuff that he said. Some of it is warranted, some of it is expected, because again, easy target. But that doesn't mean any and all criticism is fair. And I felt ESPN's Dan Orlovsky crossed the line. On yesterday's NFL Live, Dan actually alleged coaching malpractice by Matt Rule as part of a film study segment. Here was a piece of that critique. Right now, the Carolina Panthers are giving away the play, whether run or pass, to defenses. I'm not sitting here telling everybody that Baker Mayfield's playing great or that their offensive line is a dominant unit. But every single snap in these games, wow. when Christian McCaffrey's one yard behind Baker Mayfield in the shotgun, it is a run or an RPO. When Christian McCaffrey is next to Baker Mayfield with his depth, it is a pass. That is unacceptable in the NFL for the Carolina Panthers coaching staff. It's like a pitcher tipping his pitches. 100%. You know exactly what's coming. When you're in the shotgun, the defense knows the play. Matt Rule's giving all his plays up. Oh, that's what happened. That's why the offense wasn't moving the ball. He's giving away all the plays. Dan Orlovsky in a suit and glasses that I'm sure are prescription. He looked a lot like Kevin Costner and JFK. Don't worry, WD. We'll get there eventually. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Did you finally get around to watching training day? As a matter of fact, I did. Later today, we'll see what you thought of that. Actually, later on this hour. By the way, Greensboro Mayor Nancy Vaughn going to join us in 10 minutes to talk about the ACC headquarters move. Remember this. Whether it's CNN, Fox, NBC, ESPN, whoever you name it. The number one job in television is to get people to watch more television. Dan Orlovsky, his number one job is to make film study fun on TV. And he did this while also gaslighting his viewers. Matt Rule, in more polite terms than I would have done it if it were me, I think put away Dan Orlovsky, put him in his place the right way and the polite way. This was Matt today. I've been around long enough. I've seen enough coaches, you know, I've seen enough coaches get on there and say, hey, every time they do this, it's going to be this, and then it's wrong, you know. I mean, um, and I disagree with it. Um, you know, for us, uh, when we put Christian at that depth, like, you know, we, we are kind of getting into a run set. And, um, 
uh, from that, from that we, we either run it, we zone read it, we RPO it, we run it to the left, we run it to the same side run. Our biggest pass play was from that backfield set that we've, now we play action off of it. So if you tell me that we line up in a formation and we, we run it, we throw it, and we play action from there, it's pretty balanced. And so if you're saying that they knew whether we were running or passing, I would say, well, how, how come we're, you know, how come we ran for 146 yards and 6.3 oh! yards per carry? Matt Rule crushing Dan Orlovsky there. World star. People still do that. When I was in college, anytime there was a fight, people would yell world star. Is that a thing anymore? I I don't know if people yell it. World star. Exactly, though. You think coaches aren't seeing what Dan Orlovsky is seeing? Come on. And if they are seeing it, how are they allowing 146 yards on the ground? When Wake Forest got hacked by Tommy Elrod in Wakey Leaks and the other teams do all the plays, those teams stop Wake Forest. You don't think these coaches are figuring it out? Oh, they know they're going to run. Okay. We're just going to let them go for a buck 46. This isn't the first time that Orlovsky's done the film study thing only to be called out by players or coaches in far less polite terms. And it's not going to be the last time that it happens. The reality, teams do this. Hey, they run the ball often in this formation or play action pass in this formation. It looks like it's going to be some type of run action off this. You're setting up things for the future. Other coaches will watch that film saying they're going to run out of this set. So that way, when they play the Saints hypothetically on Sunday... Oh, they're expecting a run. That's when you pop a pass. That's football. But nobody's taking up for Matt Rule today because Carolina's 0-2. He's an easy target. He's on the hot seat. That's why Dan Orlovsky chose to target Matt Rule because he knew that fans who hear this, Panther fans, aren't going to defend Matt. They're, they're looking for red meat. So he's just going to get celebrated as this football genius that called out Matt. Hey, let's all point and laugh as the Giants or as the Panthers tip all their plays to the Giants while he conveniently in that clip forgot to mention that Carolina ran it for a buck 46 as Matt Rule pointed out. He's become an easy target. Again, a lot of it's fair, but this isn't. That was over the line by Orlovsky. On Twitter, at WSJS Radio, if you want in 336-777-1600 is the phone number. The most important football game in the triad this weekend, and perhaps even the most important in the history of Truist Field, you could argue, is, of course, Wake Forest and Clemson. And even though I feel this is Dave Clawson's best shot at getting the Tigers, I just can't get there, man. The talent gap, the history... And really just the matchup overall, it's going to be too much for the Deeks, I fear, to overcome on ABC tomorrow at noon. The history surrounding this game is just so damning. They've lost Wake Forest 62 in a row against top 10 teams. That dates back to 1948. 62 in a row. I think that's 12 more than the next closest in the country. Consecutive games lost against a top 10 opponent. Wake Forest has lost every game to Clemson that Dabo Sweeney has coached. That dates back to 2008. Dave Clawson has lost to Clemson by an average margin of 28 a game. 
the last four by 38 a game. And my big issue is that I don't see Wake Forest being able to run the ball. Last year, they didn't have more than 40 yards rushing against Clemson, and that turned out to be a pretty big problem. Last week against Liberty, they didn't really run the ball that well. Why? Not really a shot at Justice Ellison or Wake's run game and the run mesh altogether. Sam Hartman had a bad game last week. And defenses are figuring with the mesh, they're going to sell out on run, load up the box, and force Sam Hartman to beat you. And if Sam Hartman's not hot, not having a great game, targeting A.T. Perry and winning some of these one-on-one matchups, not throwing you out of that loaded box, they're just going to continue to do that. And they're going to continue to force you to throw the football and make you one-dimensional. That's what's happened with Wake Forest. It's why they almost lost to Liberty last week, and now Clemson has a lot better athletes than Liberty does. With that said, I expect Wake's going to give Clemson a real serious fight. Clemson's had an emotional week with Brian Brzee, that situation, his sister dying of brain cancer tragically at the age of 15. They went to the funeral in Maryland on Tuesday. Clemson has NC State next week. NC State beat Clemson a year ago. Game day is probably going to go to Tigerland if Clemson wins. You don't think the players are focused on that? They're not going to be thinking about that as they take the field in Winston-Salem? A team that they've beaten the last four years by an average margin of 38 points? They're humans. They're young. They are thinking about that. Wes Goodwin replaced Brent Venables. Hasn't really faced a formidable offense to start things out, or at least not one as good as Wake Forest. Is he going to be up to that task? I think 24 gives you a shot to win the game if you're Wake, but I'm going to go Clemson 30, Wake Forest 24. You see, that's a cover. Significant number there. Tomorrow at Truist Field. Tell them to bring me my money. One and one last night. Yeesh, Virginia Tech is bad. Check this out. We're on it, five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. WD's review of Training Day in just a few minutes. What movie did we give you yesterday to watch next week? Gone Girl. Then we started talking about bank robbery movies. Yeah. And our GM, Tom Hamilton, started texting me a ton of bank robbery movies. And I was thinking about this for an inordinate amount of time. There are a lot of great bank robbery movies that we might be willing to replace with Gone Girl should there be the right one that comes up. Maybe we'll leave it up to Ellis Williams when the Panthers beat writer and movie enthusiast joins us a little bit later on. So we've got that movie review to get to. The Carolina Panthers are getting set to face the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. I'll pick that game in just a second. In the college games, I like Clemson to win a tight one. I like North Carolina to win a tight one. We'll see what Garbage Mike thinks about that, though. 336-777-1600. Garbage Mike is on the show. He's one of the members of the Graham Crackers, super fans of the show. Garbage Mike, we get out of the way when the Graham Crackers want in on the show. What do you got on the Tar Heels and the Irish? I haven't had a great intro like that since my wedding, Josh. 
Well, I'm glad I was able to help you there and officiate this introduction. That was awesome. Hey, this um tomorrow, I think in Chapel Hill we could we either gonna see an two offensive just explode or just one of those, you know, seventeen, fourteen ugly slobber knockers. I agree with you when you said twenty four points wins the game. And unfortunately as a Nordame guy, I've sat through all three of these games they played so far this year, unfortunately, and they ain't scoring 24 points tomorrow in Chapel Hill. That's what I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be lower scoring, but I think, yeah, slobberknocker is a good way to describe it. Thanks for the yeah. call, Garbage Mike. Where does that expression come from? I've heard people describe things as being slobberknockers, but I honestly don't know where it comes from. Panthers, Saints, I also don't know... Does that mean an ugly game, or does it mean it's a great game? Slobber knocker. I've heard it in both contexts. Maybe we could revisit that in a bit. As for the Carolina Panthers, I think they're due a decisive win against the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. Carolina could be 2-0. and They could be, but they're 0-2. New Orleans, meanwhile, is 1-1, but I feel pretty confident in saying they should be 0-2. The Saints were down two touchdowns heading into the fourth quarter against Atlanta, Falcons blowing a lead? Get out of here. Meanwhile, Carolina's caught terrible breaks. The fumbleitis last week. The two bombed field goals from really far out. Cade York and Graham Gano making it happen. I think Carolina's going to start to see things break their way because that's really how things work in football. One week the ball bounces against you. The next week it generally bounces for you. And that, those bounces usually happen in your home field, too. The defense is set up to just eat on Sunday. Carolina's been great on that side of the ball, but it hasn't forced a turnover yet. What could fix that? How about Jameis Winston, who had three interceptions last week? Saints had five turnovers as a whole. If the Carolina defense doesn't force a turnover on Sunday, then I think they're destined to start 0-3. But I think they're going to turn over the ball. I think they're going to do it. In a good way. This is a staggering stat. The Saints are dead last in the NFL in sacks. That's good for a young offensive line. They've only had one sack through two games. Meanwhile, Carolina, four sacks and two. That's okay. The Saints have allowed 10 sacks. So this defense, a real big opportunity for them. And I think the urgency is going to be there. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at the Saints. That's another one. Why are we throwing the kitchen sink at people? WD, see if you can find the origin of Slobberknocker. The urgency is going to be there on offense, though. No turnovers, I don't think. No slow start. Better on third down. So I like Carolina by double digits. Give me Panthers 27, Saints 17. Another game that I'll be in attendance for. What is your definition of Slobberknocker? I don't have a definition for slob. I've never even heard the term. You come on. You've heard someone say slobberknocker before. I've never heard somebody. But I've heard two different definitions. I've heard kind of like the way Garbage Mike referred to it. It's like a low-scoring fist fight type of game, a slobberknocker. But I've also heard it in the context of this is a great game, like an awesome game, a real slobberknocker. I don't know which of the two it is. Now let's get the training day, getting the movies. 
with WD. Unless you're talking about Star Wars. Obi-Wan has taught you well. Movies aren't exactly Will's thing. I don't get it. You uncultured swine! But that's about to change because Josh can't stand it anymore. This is At The Movies with Will Dalton. Okay, we were supposed to do this yesterday, but WD forgot to watch the movie. Even though Dot and I told him on Wednesday to watch this movie. You finally did watch it. Yes, I did. Did you watch it last night or this morning? Uh, both. I started it last night. and I... Oh, you're one of those. What? It's two hours. Can't well, just sit down and watch the full close-ended thing? I may could, but... Come on. I never, ever do that. I never say, I'm going to put a pin in this and then watch it tomorrow. Come on. Have some respect. A little <laughs> bit of respect what for the What does that movies. have to do with respect? You don't respect the movie enough to watch the entire thing in a close-ended pro. Like, could you imagine if you were at a play and you were like, "Yeah, let's just book this and watch it tomorrow." Can can we all just get together tomorrow and finish this performance? That's halfway finished. Well, nobody. That well, that wasn't the case here. That's a hypothetical, Josh. Same concept. What did you like the most? I'm a big about Training Day. I'm a big fan of Eva Mendez's work. Yeah. Big I, uh, debut for. Eva Mendez. Oh, yeah. Was this her debut? I think this is the movie that launched Eva Mendez. Okay. People well, noticed Eva Mendez in this movie. Well, because, like, I, I know she's in Hitch, too, but that was 05, and I think this was 01, right? Yeah. So. This movie really elevated her. I'm trying to think of other movies she was in. Was she in Dumb and Dumber? No, not Dumb and Dumber. Stuck on You, I think, was the Matt Damon movie where they're, like, Siamese twins. I don't know. Hmm. The other guys you also know Eva Mendez from. Oh, yeah. She's definitely in the conversation. Like, most attractive women I've ever seen on screen. She's in the top five. I don't know if she's on the medal stand, but she's in the top five of that conversation. Margot Robbie and Wolf of Wall Street on that list, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what you like the most about this movie. The, the, the whole ending scene sequence. Like, you remember when I texted you this morning? King right? Kong! Yeah. Ain't got bleep on me! Which was great because Eva Mendez was great in that scene as well. I'm police! I run this! Yeah. Y'all just live here! This movie was gritty. Oh, yeah. It was really gritty. Denzel, if you think about what this movie's about and just what happens in this movie, there's no reason it really should work. It's flimsy. Well, a lot of things about it are flimsy, but the reason that it works is because Denzel is so good, so magnanimous. He is. That it just makes it work. Like Denzel just elevates movies when he's in it because he has this ability to do terrible things. Like Alonzo oh, yeah. is a terrible person. He but is. But you find yourself rooting for Alonzo. Like you want to you don't want to see Will Denzel Washington die? Like, you're rooting for Alonzo because Denzel Washington is so darn likable. I think it's his greatest performance because I don't think anybody else could really do that role and make it work. And it's probably his most distinctive performance, too. What didn't you like about training that? You just said it. Flimsy. The plot, like, no cop would act that way. Yeah. No cop, like, 
you pretty much just said what my least favorite thing about Denzel makes it work. But yeah. Alonzo, like if we have cops out there like Alonzo, we're in trouble. Right. We're, well, I mean, we're in trouble. It's just not believable. It is a very LA movie. Yeah. If you've ever been to LA, I haven't. There are neighborhoods that you have the Hispanic neighborhood you probably shouldn't visit. You've got the African American neighborhood that you probably shouldn't visit. Like it's there it does a, do a good job of capturing Los Angeles. But you're right. There it's are, just not believable. There are aspects of it that aren't that believable. If I had to pinpoint one thing I didn't really like much, is some of the celebrities acting in it. Um, some were good, like Snoop. Yeah. Snoop was good in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah. But Macy Gray, I want to see that warrant. And um, Dr. Dre, not so great by the, this movie. By the way, since I've now seen the movie... I don't think I look anything like Jake. Was that B dot or you were saying that, or both of you? I think you kind of do look like Jake. <sighs> I don't see it. I could see it. Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Like you and he's older, so yeah. Give it ten years. That's Good what you're gonna time. look like. Oh. What was your favorite quote? It was in that scene where Jake comes to um, arrest Alonzo. Even Mendez doing great work in that scene, by the way. Um, and. Alonzo goes to shoot at Jake, and he says, "You know I'm surgical with this bleep, Jake." Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed. He that. had a lot of one-liners that are really good in this. But for me, my favorite scene of the movie was the Alonzo introduction. It's as good of an introduction as you're gonna find when they sit in the diner, which is, by the way, the same diner as Seven. Really? Same exact diner as Seven. They they huh. shot this in. When Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth Paltrow were meeting and all that. Is that right? Same exact diner. Huh. Uh, this is a newspaper. 90% of it's BS, but it's entertainment. Tell me a story. <laughs> Tell me a story is as good as it gets. Tells you everything you need to know about who those characters are and what the That's dynamic right. is. Okay. You have to guess what the Rotten Tomatoes score is within three. three. What the audience score. So not what the critics thought about it, what the audience thinks about it. Mm. If you're within three, it's impressive. You still haven't successfully done this yet. Have it at all? No. You I haven't gotten within three. I've gotten within four. That's right. Mm. Let me go with an 89. Is that your final answer? Yes. It is 89 right on the dot. Let's go. Where's where, where's my little uh, my bell? There it 89 is. 89 right on the dot. How about that? Good for you. Took me long enough. And that's been... At the movies. Real quick, yes or no, have you seen any of these movies? The Town. No. Heat. No. Point Break. No. Den of Thieves. I think. Is that re- a recent movie? Like, yeah, Bank Robber movie. I think I saw that. Okay. Really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gerard Butler is in that. Okay. So those top three are ones to consider that we're looking at here. You're on the drive with Josh Grill, WSJS. Before we keep it simple, recapping the week efficiently, 
In addition to the high school football game of the week that we have tonight, Southeast Guilford facing Northern Guilford, we've got Duke, Kansas. Tomorrow, high noon kick. Still disappointed that they didn't send college game, game day to Lawrence. That would have been really cool. I think this is when the undefeated streak for Mike Elko ends. I think reality is going to start to set in. And the reality is this. Kansas is a legitimately good football team. When you look at the analytics, they have one of the most efficient offenses in America. They might actually be number one in that category. And they've beaten legit teams. They're not beating the starving sisters of the poor. Last week, they were on the road against Houston. And that was a Houston team that opened the team and opened the year in the top 25. Kansas dominated that game. They won by 18, 48-30. The week before that, on the road, they beat West Virginia in overtime. That was your rare double-digit overtime win. Huh? You score, get a pick six, and that's how it ends. Duke, meanwhile, the, the win that you kind of put into your cap, the feather in your cap, was the win at, uh, at Northwestern, but since then, Northwestern lost to, what, Southern Illinois? Uh, they don't look very good. Northwestern beat Nebraska, though. How good does that win look now? I, I think Duke, it's not a knock. Your season win total was three. Might be a bit of fool's gold talking about this team being any good in the grand scheme of things. I think Kansas at home takes care of Duke. I think they're going to have a great crowd. They announced a sellout yesterday. I still haven't seen Wake Forest announcing a sellout against Clemson. What a strange world we live in. That Duke and Kansas sells out in Lawrence before Wake Forest and Clemson sells out in Winston-Salem. Kind of a bummer when you really think about it. But I like Kansas again. I think uh, Leipold has done an excellent job since arriving. It's been trending this way for a while. Beat Texas last year. Competed in a handful of other games. This is another spot where Kansas, I think, impresses people. And Leipold might be the top candidate for that Nebraska job. Okay, let's recap the week by keeping it simple. Five words or less. It's simple, man. That's all Josh gets to tell you where your favorite teams are at. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. Let's keep it simple. Before you start throwing things at me to recap and... Five words or less. Let's get a dance break in here. That's a Oh boy, I'm 40. Now 55, Mike Gundy. Not a lot of people in the club this week. Eh, they just might be a little running late. You mm. never know who's going to pop in here. Yeah. When I was in college, the clubbing type... I usually be the guy to show up at the club at 11. People are like, what are you doing here? Like, it's 11 o'clock. Yeah. I will. No, people don't roll up till midnight, 1230. That's right. I mean, at least it's 11. You could be showing up at like 10, 1030. That's, that's really pushing it. Might have done that before, too. I, I believe it. What's the first thing? The weekend as a whole in App State. Oh, oh. Holy mother of meatballs! Exclamation point. 
<laughs> uh, it really is. That that is a call I'm going to remember. But that they one up the, the themselves each week. Each week they one up themselves. Carolina, you get them up on the mountain. You play a classic, 63-61. You score 40 in the fourth quarter. Then you get the win at College Station against the top 10 team, and you you top that with College Game Day in town, and you hit a Hail Mary on the final play. It, they're going to write books about those three weeks in Boone. I don't know how they top it this week against James Madison. That's also a sneaky, scary game. Coach Signetti's going to have him coached up. He was Elon's coach once upon a time. That's going to be an interesting game in Boone tomorrow. All right, let's get to the elephant in the room. The ACC headquarters moving from Greensboro to Charlotte. <sighs> this move was an inevitability. That's what it was. I know Jim Phillips says it wasn't. This wasn't predetermined is what he emphasized. I don't believe that. I never will believe that. None of the folks in the triad are going to believe that because prior to Jim Phillips' arrival, this is something that the Big East presidents have pushed for and they were always going to get, regardless of how much Greensboro pushed and how much Greensboro offered them. Private plane, apparently a really detailed, inclusive uh, curriculum according to Nancy Vaughn last hour on the show. The naming rights to the Greensboro Coliseum. Affordable downtown real estate. They they gave them the world. And the ACC said, sorry, we're going to go to Charlotte instead. And they, they, they won't tell us anything that Charlotte's offered that's remotely comparable. They just won't because there isn't anything. If I'm going to ask multiple people and get the same answer... I'm going to believe that that's the answer. I don't think they, I don't think Charlotte had a better offer, but I don't think it mattered. I don't think that's what it was about. I think it was predetermined. Drake May's egregious, mm. disgusting comments on NC State. <sighs> <laughs> this, the NC State. The state-UNC rivalry rules. Yeah, that checks out. The state-UNC rivalry rules. A lot of people still in my mentions mad at me for suggesting that it's a more fierce rivalry than Carolina and Duke. It just is. It's a different kind of rivalry. That's, that's the way to put it. The Carolina fans who say, NC State's not our rival, is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. When Roy Williams says he dislikes NC State more than he dislikes Duke, and that guy went to Carolina and coached Carolina, one of the best coaches you've ever had, then I'm going to say that they're a rival. And when that same school hates you more than everybody else, I'm going to say that it's a rivalry. Oh, but in football, it's a rivalry. Basketball, shut up. It's a rivalry. It's what it is. By definition. And it's a fierce one, and I love it. West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Hmm. Six years of Fuente recruiting. 
that's what was on display last night. <laughs> I don't know any of those players are. And they lost at home to a rival who hasn't been in that place since 2004. And you play like dog poo. Terrible. Just terrible. And it was painstakingly clear that they made the right decision moving off of Fuente to bring Pry in. And hopefully you get better players as a result. The place was rocking, as you would expect it to be. They just didn't deliver the goods, and they made West Virginia look like the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is saying quite a bit. The other game of last night, Browns-Steelers. I haven't talked much about this game. Cleveland consistently breaks you down. Saw it against the Panthers. Should have worked against the Jets. Same recipe last night. We're just going to run a lot more plays than you. We're going to get to third down and two, third down and three. We're going to run the football down your throat. And you're going to say, thank you, sir. May I have another? That's it. You, you're you you're not going to be able to stop us. We're going to break you down as the game goes down and wears you down as the game goes on. And lastly, the week in review for Boston Celtics head coach Ime Udoka. Hmm. We need the full story. It was awkward. They didn't give us a lot of information earlier today at the press conference they had. It can't just be this guy had a consensual relationship because it also seems like that was leaked out maybe even by the Ime Udoka camp so that when the news came out, it was a relationship with the staffer. Everybody's already gotten their head that was consensual because there were other reports that suggested that it wasn't that. But then based on some of the answers today, it does seem like it was consensual, which has us all confused. Well, why is he suspended for a full year then? This seems harsh. I don't know what to make of it. I really don't, but it's bizarre for a coach that took his team to the finals in his first year. At any rate, we need another dance break. Hey, Spermar. At the end of the day, Jeff. Hey. I'm a man. Oh. I'm 40. Get oh. that ice cream. Oh my I'm Mo Grease. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. Set for grabs. It is juggle. I totally forgot that Jim Phillips called me Jeff. <laughs> I have gotten multiple emails from people. Hey, Jeff. Just because. Nah, just. Like they had things to tell me, but... They actually thought you were Jeff. No. Oh. They, they just started the conversation, hey, Jeff, because oh, okay. they thought it was funny. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks, Commissioner. That, when I see him, I'm going to introduce him as Jeff Phillips. Next time I see him, or Josh Phillips. At the end of the day, Jeff... <laughs> Jim, what's close to Jim? See, that's the thing. Tim. Jeff, Jeff's not even close to Josh. No. It's not. It has a letter. It does. Your name. The first one. It but, does. So, like... Like, John would have been more understandable. Yeah. Mm. Tim Phillips. There you go. But that's close. I wanted to accomplish it. Oh, I'm I... going to call him Joe. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Joe that's, Phillips. That's kind of the equivalent. That is. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Joe Phillips now joining us. 
hopefully at ACC tip-off we can pull this thing off. It's the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. This is the guy I wanted to talk to today. Ellis Williams on Twitter at Book of Ellis is really good at making football consumable and breaking down the X's and O's and getting X's and O's answers out of coaches and players. So given the headline of the day with Dan Orlovsky breaking down the tape, so to speak, and Matt Rule responding to it, I think in a polite put-down type of way, he's the guy that I want to talk to about it because to me, I felt Dan Orlovsky was just going after an easy target knowing that he would be celebrated for taking shots at Matt Rule by Panthers fans who are already looking for red meat. And it didn't really seem like the most fair of criticism for all the reasons that Matt Rule spelled out, including how well they ended up running the ball in the game. Dan Orlovsky's good at making entertaining TV, and it was entertaining TV, but was it a fair criticism? No, I thought it was lazy and lame. Um and I, I like Dan. I've, I've, I've talked to Dan. I respect Dan. He's taught me a ton about football, obviously. But it was reckless. And we're in an industry where you need to be fair, transparent, and honest. I understand that rarely happens, despite the fact that it should. And I only sent a tweet that I did refuting his two-minute soliloquy because of the very specific language he used during the broadcast, which I replayed three times to make sure I had right, in which he said, every time Christian McCaffrey lines up a yard behind Baker Mayfield and shotgun, the Panthers are either running the ball or executing an RPO. And that's just false. So had he said most, some, often, which words that don't work on Twitter, I don't do anything, and this doesn't become a thing probably. But and I'm not saying I made a thing. I'm just saying his statement was false. Thus, the reaction is what it is. Yeah, I just retweeted that tweet that Ellis put out. So you can find that on my Twitter page, at Josh Graham Radio. If you don't already follow Ellis on Twitter, you should. At Book of Ellis, charlotteobserver.com. You could read his stuff. Okay, getting to this game against the Saints. There are a few matchups that look like Carolina should be able to exploit. You got this great pass rush and the New Orleans Saints have allowed 10 sacks through the first two games you've had issues protecting the passer the Saints are dead last in the league with only one sack through their first two and you haven't forced a turnover yet well Jameis Winston's coming to town so you should be able to do something there you would think what matchup to you are you most compelled by Sunday um that's a really good question and it probably speaks to my football background and what we all like, but I think it's the secondary versus the Panthers passing attack, which of course has not been a strength of the team throwing the football. And they've got some notable names back there. Marcus May, Tyron Matthew. Um, dude, he just kind of played with Mike Evans. Oh yeah. Marcus Lattimore. Uh, Marcus Lattimore. 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 Thank you, man. It's been a long day. Oh um, yeah, no doubt. The, Right, They're, They've got some names back there, but the Panthers have an opportunity to exploit the Saints in the slot. I, I know that they are rotating the slot 
nickel number three corner often right now. Not that slot receiver is a strength of Carolina right now either. Maybe we'll see some more Richard Higgins. We shall see. But that's where Baker Mayfield likes to throw it. Now, what I mean, DJ more deep overs and putting him in more slot opportunities based on personnel, meaning more like 12 or 21, maybe. Um, maybe that just means Richard Higgins or Terrace Marshall or Shai Smith, LaVisca, Chenault. Maybe they make some plays. But the, the Saints can be taken advantage of across the middle. Uh, and the Panthers just need to, regardless of who they're playing, and I think that's actually really important to point out. Like we're two weeks through the NFL season. I I would I don't advise NFL teams or you know we, me and I would still talk, but I would be making a lot more money. <laughs> um, yeah, I would advise every NFL team to not worry so much about its opponent in week two and instead self scout. Like at the end of the day, the entire NFC West is one and one. The entire NFC North is what did I say? The entire NFC West is one and one. The entire NFC North is one and one. Uh, you have to get yourself right before you can beat your opponent. And the, I believe I've said this, I say this every week on your radio show. I see the NFL as four quarter mini sprints, mini races. And in theory, you need to go two and two in those first three quarters to be relevant and be ready to play some December meaningful football. So the Panthers have two games to get this right. And being one and three at the end of your first quarter, in my opinion, is far from the end of the world. So that's a long way of saying I would say that the Panthers passing game is the matchup to watch regardless of opponent because they need to complete passes. Duh. They need to be better on third down. They had four trips to the red zone last week, only came away with one touchdown, three field goals. This game, football often comes down to passing attempts plus, excuse me, completions plus rushing attempts. That means you, you move the chains. It means you possess the football and yards, and efficiency usually lead to points. The Panthers right now are 28th in the league in plays ran per series at just five. That's, wow. that's got to increase, or it doesn't matter if this team plays. They're not going to win the game. Ellis Williams is with us here. Man, such a good point you bring up about self-scouting. We were talking about it with North Carolina. Oh, the defense looks horrific week to week to week. Yeah. And now they're coming off the bye and Mac Brown this week with Gene Chizik, who's a proven defensive coach. You don't be surprised if against Notre Dame tomorrow, which is which offense doesn't look so great, if it looks like they've turned the corner a little bit because a lot of teams outside of the bye are in tunnel vision here where you don't do as much self-scouting. It's a, it's a lot of just focusing on the opponent for obvious reasons. But, Ellis, you've been in the locker rooms a little bit more than I have. There's this perception that the locker room right now isn't responding the way it should to Matt Rule's message. Again, it's only been two games, but here we are. I haven't gotten that sense. Where are you on that? Oh, no, the locker room rides for Matt Rule. Um, I thought that was evident in the things Robbie Anderson said this week mm -hmm. and what Baker Mayfield had to say. And, and for people who will go, well, of course, Robbie Anderson is going to say that. He played for him at Temple and is a multimillionaire because of Matt Rule. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Baker Mayfield, he's new to the team. What does he know? All right, fine. Um, Jeremy Chin, Brian Burns, after the game, Icky Aquano, I went up to him and asked, what happened on that, that sack you gave up? He goes, look, we've been preparing for it all week. When the defensive end and cross from me drops into coverage, I need to slide inside and uh, account for most dangerous, and I didn't do that. It was on me. I blew it. That's been the sentiment. What Icky said 20 minutes after the game on Sunday has been the sentiment that has carried throughout this Panthers locker room all week. They believe this is on them. They believe the coaches are putting them in the right spots to win. 
Now, go ask the coaches. They, they think they can coach better. Of course they do. And, of course, they can. They should be coaching better. Everyone in that building thinks they can be better, that they should be better. I thought Matt Rule had a rallying cry on Wednesday when he said, there are people, everyone in this building is dying for a win. Well, we're about to find out. And I don't think you talk like that unless it's make or break time and unless you're confident you have your troops still behind you. And that's the state of the Panthers right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I felt the first loss. You could attribute that to Matt Rule. You you had the entire offseason to be ready for this game. It looked like they were inadequately ready for it. Week two, I people blaming Matt Rule for Robbie Anderson and Chuba putting it on the field. You you're not teaching ball security so much in the NFL. You that's something that you should already have. That should be a feature. I, I made the analogy. It's like in college, they're not teaching you how to write and read. You know how to do that at some point. And then what you brought up brought up with Dickey, that's a really good example as well of that. Oh, we got to get to this, Ellis. Taylor Swift's likely getting the halftime show. Your thoughts? Man, I'm either going to lose or gain a bunch of followers based on I'm in. that. That's a joke. I'm in. Like Come that. on, man. Come on. Come on, Ellis. Join the gang. I, Join the Swifties. I cannot, I cannot wait if yeah! she performs at the halftime show to see what she rolls out. She is one of the most prolific, talented singers, songwriters, yes. performers, artists of our generation. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Correct. You got Drake, you got Kanye, you got Taylor Swift, you have Beyonce, you have Justin Bieber. These are untouchable humans <laughs> as artists and creatives, in my opinion. Ed Sheeran, <laughs> she is on that list, obviously. Um, I can't wait for it if it happens. Give me the parts of folklore, then give me blank space mixed with some back to December and some love story. I'm here for all of it. Is she going to perform for a half hour? How much time we got? With yeah, I think we got 13 minutes. What she should do is like, instead of a 10 minute <laughs> version of all too well, make it a 13 minute version and wear a Jake Gyllenhaal t-shirt. That's what I think she should do, uh, on national TV, the biggest stage on planet earth. Uh, Ellis Williams is with you're us the, here. You're the man. You're real, I'm sorry, real quick. You're the man. I, I just, Listened to the 10-minute version of All Too Well today for the first time. Downloaded it like an hour ago. So the way we're on the same wavelength like that, that's why I love coming out with you. Yeah, you, you told me you watched Boogie Nights for the first time last night. I made WD watch Training Day for the first time last night. He hadn't seen that, so <laughs> we changed that. W, yeah, King Kong ain't got anything on uh, WD. Nothing. So next week, we're trying to pick a movie for him to watch because he hasn't seen anything. So we're thinking about bank robbery movies. We were thinking about the movie Gone Girl. So I think we're down to the town or Gone Girl. Do you have a preference between those two, Ellis, to make WD watch? Man, I I love Gone Girl for, like, the one specific moment in which... You're not going to talk about right now? But the, yeah. Exactly. The town is the movie. If you haven't seen the town, like Training Day, it is an all-time stakes um, thriller joyride with incredible Boston accent. So you, you got to go with the town. All right. So the town is the movie we are going with next week. Ellis Williams, thanks for your contributions to the show. I'll see you up in the press box. We'll talk about roller girl. We'll talk about Dirk Diggler, the entire gang on Sunday. Trying to find me a roller girl. Till that, man. That's a, that's it, man. On Twitter at book of Ellis.